We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show this Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. Sorry about that. I um, I was here, but I had my settings off just a little bit. Also, I was engrossed in reading something over at CNN, and I'm sorry, I just lost track of time. The End of Quarantine, the piece published this morning, is titled, What People Should Know About the CDC's New covid 19 guidelines. I was in um, California last week and um, a part of last week and I remember going into a into a uh, into a restaurant and it had just opened up uh, for the business and the owner greeted us and said this is our first day where we're no longer you know requiring social distancing and we're allowing everyone in without a mask so sorry we opened up a little late kind of like I did today i guess and i i thought what the heck is he talking about i had no idea i mean that these these some of these people these dead enders on covid were still abiding by the nonsense we gave up certainly florida never even engaged in that we gave up eons and eons ago like the last Japanese fighter in the Philippines who was still hiding out, thinking World War II was going on until it was dispatched to him, what, <laughs> in the 1960s that the war was over? It's okay, hero. We're done. We lost a while ago. I laugh, but it's not funny. And what Rachel Walensky, the head of the CDC, today is saying is equally not funny. Here's a headline. I'll go back to CNN in a moment. But the Fox News headline is the CDC director orders reorganization, saying the COVID-19 response did not reliably meet expectations. Now they tell us now the CDC was God. Now God is saying "Eh, we need a reorg. The heavens need a reorg. This is just going to slip by, isn't it? It's just going to go by with no and pass us by with no accountability. I was talking about that issue of accountability with Hugh Hallman yesterday on the show, and we'll um, we'll get into that in a moment. But let me go through the CNN story. I'll just read you as I was reading last week. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced key changes to its nationwide COVID-19 guidelines. Now, before I go in further. Is it curious to you that maybe you were unaware of these changes? Bill, did you know massive changes were issued by the CDC last week? No, of course you didn't, as most didn't, because they were a relaxation of rules and regulations and mandates. Boy, when they wanted to force something and create paranoia and scare and panic and fear, everyone knew about it. They knew how to blast that stuff out. They knew how to blast it out. They knew how to get it on the media. They knew how to get fellow Americans to shame other Americans. But when it's, oh, never mind, when it's Emily Latella, can you get me her saying, oh, never mind? When it's Emily Latella giving the news, they put the quietus on it. Let me read you the second sentence. Among them, among the uh, key changes 
was the end of required quarantine after someone is exposed to a close contact with the coronavirus. The CDC also revised isolation guidance for people infected with COVID-19. Now, I want you to just bear with me for a moment. Maybe go out with it, Bill, or just throw it into the, uh, you know, uh, the bumper as we go out. Now, just understand what's going on here. We are ending quarantines and isolation guidance from the CDC for people who had close contact with someone who has the coronavirus, irrespective, regardless, regardless of whether you're vaccinated, vel non, or not. Regardless. I remember how this thing went down. I remember if I met someone who didn't know they had COVID, but found out they were later expo- later that they were exposed perhaps the day before we had this incident here. I was twice. I was in studio with someone who didn't know they were exposed. I was in the studio with someone who didn't know they were exposed. They learned it the next day. And then our whole worlds had to be upended. I had to have a remote studio put together for me. I couldn't come to the office. This was obviously uh, before the vaccine. But even if it was true, with, it was even true during the vaccine. Now who cares, they say. CDC just says, never mind. You were exposed to someone, vaccinated or not, you, they, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So the CNN reporter speaks with their CNN medical analyst, Dr. Liana Wen. Now, she's an emergency physician and a professor of health at GW at George Washington University at the Milken Institute uh, School of Public Health. You, for those of you that watch CNN, will know who she is. She's their go-to expert. Used to be a bunch of them. Now it's just mostly her. Uh, CNN says, has the CDC really ended quarantine? That's the question. Has the CDC really ended quarantine? It seems like a major step. That's literally how they asked it, right? Dr. Leanna Wen, it has effectively ended quarantine for people exposed to COVID-19. I agree it's a major change. The new guidance says that someone exposed to an individual with COVID-19 no longer needs to quarantine at home away from others. They can go to work. They can attend school and be in other settings around people as long as they wear a well-fitting, high-quality mask, ideally an N95 or equivalent. Let's get into that for a moment, okay? Because you have never once seen Joe Biden saying it is your patriotic duty to wear a mask. You have never seen him engage in mask theater with an N95. He's... So far as I know, never worn one. At least he's never shown himself wearing one. He wears surgical. Sometimes I don't think anymore he used to wear cloth masks. But mostly he wears the surgical mask, the versions that we all used to see so frequently, those blue and light blue ones, right? The blue and light blue masks that, you know, they're called surgical masks. People confuse the notion of a surgical mask in an N95 because they think, ah, surgical mask is for surgeons, and it's the highest level. No, it's not. The surgical mask was the thing that every business counter had and every restaurant had. That's a surgical mask. Irrelevant. The surgical mask was irrelevant last year. Michael Osterholm, do you know who he is? We've talked about him here. You don't have to. 
he was on Joe Biden's COVID advisory committee. And until Anthony Fauci got famous with COVID between the period of AIDS in the 80s and COVID, he was kind of an unknown entity. Not a lot of people knew who Anthony Fauci was. Michael Osterholm was probably the most quoted epidemiologist in the country when there were the avian bird flu and all these other things. Mostly you heard from Michael Osterholm. He was... He's probably the second most next to Anthony Fauci, famous epidemiologist. He last year was clear on this, and he was Biden's advisor. These surgical masks are irrelevant to preventing and stopping and protecting on COVID. Cue the point where I say that a lot of us were a lot more right when we questioned the CDC and Anthony Fauci and the mandates, were a lot more right than the CDC and Anthony Fauci and those promoting, promulgating, and enforcing the mandates. A lot of us were. They were more wrong, and we were more right. However, we were the ones who were shamed, and we were the ones who had to pay the price. We were the ones who couldn't go to work. We were the ones who had to shut down our businesses. We were the ones that couldn't send our kids to school. We were the ones that had to take our kids out of school, even if they had a sniffle or a cough or a sneeze or a cold. And we have done, as I was speaking with a... um, expert at uh, lunch today we are we are we are going to pay for a generation at least a generation what we've done to the kids in the name of all this nonsense that the cdc is now saying never mind never mind go to work attend school be in other settings around people even if you're exposed to an individual with covid 19 CNN then asks Dr. Wen the difference between quarantine and isolation. I'm not even going to bother you with that anymore. I'm just not even going to. Are there people that should still take additional precautions, the CDC asks. Uh, the CNN reporter asks Dr. Wen. Yes, she says. The CDC says that people with exposure should take extra precautions when around people who are more likely to get very sick from COVID-19. What I take this to mean is that you should be additionally cautious if you are, say, visiting an elderly grandparent. Oh, so you can visit them now. You just have to be cautious about it. And we're not ever going to talk about, aside from age, what the greatest comorbidity is, right? We're just not going to talk about it. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Okay, now that I've gotten my stuff right on my end, I do. I'm sorry. I got button Twitter-pated here. Uh, let me put out a, uh, a nice thing for you. Uh, as you know, we're bringing out uh, Larry Elder and Brandon Tatum. will join him for the release uh, and premiere of his new documentary, Uncle Tom 2. Many of you may remember Uncle Tom 1. He's now done Uncle Tom 2, Larry Elder has, and he's coming here to Phoenix to give you that premiere you can get tickets at 960 thepatriot.com it's august 24th coming up and i'm going to give away a pair of tickets right now to caller number two at 602-508-0960 if you'd like a free pair of tickets to our uncle tom 2 screening with larry elder and brandon tatum 602-508-0960 bill will happily give you those two free tickets uh, it's going to be great to have Larry here happily uh, taking Q&A, not only about the movie, but really anything on your mind. And my gosh, I bet there is a lot. 
Um, I want to say a few more things about COVID, but let me also say something about Liz Cheney and that Wyoming primary. I'm getting a little tired, just a little tired, of this easily-to-trip-off-the-tongue claptrap. Wall Street Journal does it. You see it everywhere. That says Mrs. Cheney or Representative Cheney is a conservative by any measure, and she has the courage of her convictions. The second part may be true. The first is not. She is not a conservative by any measure. A conservative would not involve herself and parade herself as a champion of a kangaroo court. That is not conservative. A conservative would not go out of her way to put her thumb in the eyes of the supporter of a, of a supporters of a republic of a Republican president. A conservative would not go out of her way to elevate and escalate the rhetoric of the Democratic Party about the fascism, bigotry, racism, and undemocratic nature of the Republican Party in which she sits or the Republican president whom she theoretically voted for. And if she didn't vote for him, maybe she owes us that knowledge as well. But that's not quite so relevant. What's quite relevant is whatever you think of January 6th and whatever you think of Donald Trump, this show on the January 6th hearings is a dressed-up production where due process and fairness and the cross-examination of witnesses, the examination of any witness, not, didn't go out the window. It was never in the room. It was never in the room. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, picked who would be on the committee and did not allow Kevin McCarthy, the, the, the leader of the Republicans in the House, did not allow him to pick his members to sit on that committee. All of it was done by the Democrats. All of it was done by Nancy Pelosi. All of it was chosen so that she could get the most extreme form of attention from the most extreme form of talking points from herself and Adam Schiff on that committee. This has been a railroad and, as I say, a kangaroo court. One might even call it a star chamber. Nothing about that is conservative. One one person queried, I don't remember who it was, might have been Jonathan Turley, it doesn't matter. One person queried whether Liz Cheney, Elizabeth Cheney, would have been in better shape had she served on the committee, but served on the committee responsibly, demanding the kinds of things I said just now were in we're, we're, we're not we're not we're not in existence, did not abide due process, cross examination of witnesses. Why is Nancy Pelosi, by the way, not a witness? Nancy Pelosi was the one in charge and responsible for the security of the Capitol. She was the one in charge of the Capitol Police. Why was she not called as a witness? It's not a conflict of interest. She doesn't serve on the committee herself. And there's nothing in the rules so far as I know. That keeps a committee member from asking another committee member, even if she were on the committee, a question. But the notion that Liz Cheney is a conservative by any measure is just a talking point that does not bear out to be true. Not if conservatives stand for due process and fairness 
and the rule of law. Not if conservatives understand that the Democrats will use any port in a harbor, any port in a harbor or storm that they created so as to go after the Republican Party. Liz Cheney became part of the Amen Chorus and the Amen Corner of Nancy Pelosi's most left-wing talking points. She adopted them, she absorbed them, and then she herself weaponized them and disseminated them. If you listened to Liz Cheney during the January 6th hearings that she was part of, and you listened to any of the Democratic members of the committee or Nancy Pelosi herself, you would not be able to distinguish between the two. And it's not as if there aren't serious questions to ask of these witnesses to cross-examine them. It's not as if there aren't follow-up questions that all of us wished could have been asked, and neither Adam Kinzinger nor Liz Cheney deigned to think appropriate to ask, not because they're stupid, but because they're smart. They knew not to ask them because they knew to ask them would be to solicit answers against interest. What's the point of having a two-party system? Maybe Liz Cheney's beginning to understand that today. We do have a two-party system in this country for a reason. And it's so one party not only can project its political philosophy, but so it can keep the other party in check. That's part of the political set of checks and balances that keeps this Republican form of government or democracy, however you want to describe it, either way works just fine. That's what keeps it in play. That's what keeps it operating. This is why you sometimes, by the way, have efforts at third-party runs. They don't usually go very far, but that's why you do have efforts at it, because that person who wants to run as a third-party candidate doesn't think that the options are sufficiently antagonistic, that the, op- that the options are sufficiently opposite, that, the, that, 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 that what we suffer from too often in philosophical terms is what is called insufficient options. That's why you get a third-party candidate here and there and now and again. That's why there are two parties in this country, because there are two political philosophies. I'll get into this a little bit more in the third hour, specifically with some historical context. But this idea that a good conservative was ousted by an intemperate mob or an intemperate populace or an intemperate electorate is nonsense. She's not a good conservative and she's not a bad conservative. She's simply not a conservative. And she abandoned the Republican Party a long time ago. You want to sit on that committee? You want to think January 6th was wrong? Fine. All we're asking for is a little fairness and a little due process so that we can all learn from it. That is the point of an investigative committee, by the way, to learn something that you don't already know. All this committee was interested in is promulgating what they thought they already knew. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If it's 34 past the hour, we do our culture and economy update with the best person in the world to do it with, and that is John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website, and he has a radio show himself here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. I hope you're doing well today, John. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Seth. Good, good, good. Yep. 
All right. We're not done with interest rate hikes, it looks like. Uh, there's a headline here at CNBC mm-hmm. I wanted to run by you. Fed see, the Fed, Federal Reserve, right. sees interest rate hikes continuing until inflation eases substantially. What are we talking about here, John? Well, you know, we, we've seen the Fed uh, have a series of interest rate hikes recently here. And uh, the thought is, is we did see a pullback slightly for inflation in July from June. Uh, but that doesn't mean that this is all over with and everything's back to normal. The Fed really has a target of that 2% inflation rate, and we're still in the 8-plus percent. So uh, it's going to be kind of a, a, a balancing act for the Fed here. Are they going to you know, raise another three-quarters of a percent, or do they think it's going to be possible to maybe only do a half a point raise when it comes in September? Uh, we're going to see here shortly, and you know they're having their meetings, is talking about it right now. Um, but I would say this, is that... Um, you know, since the Fed has raised rates, which is not usually a positive for the stock market, uh, we have seen just uh, from the bottom uh, of the market's bottom that was hit in mid-June, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up about 14%. So even with those increases in rate, uh, those were sort of priced into the market. So in other words, it looked like the market was a little oversold uh, in, in by the mid part of June. Uh, But we're starting to come into another concern whether or not the Fed is going to slow down on raising rates. If they do, the thought is that, well, gee, maybe if they do do slow down, uh, inflation will rear its head again and it'll just linger even longer. So it's going to be an interesting, um, you know, couple of months coming up here. And I I just caution people to be aware of that uh, as we get into the next few months of, of the stock market trading. If you're fully invested in the market already, that's okay. Uh, but if you have a little bit of cash on the sidelines, it might be okay to leave a little bit on the sidelines right now and just see how things play out over the next couple of months. I don't say that you should just all be in cash because you would have missed out on that, as I just mentioned, a wonderful uh, you know, uh, spike higher uh, for the Dow and for the NASDAQ and the S&P all, all in the month of uh, you know, July. So. so the takeaway, if I understand it then, John, is that the Fed is contemplating raising rates again, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Which will, will make yes. money, as you like to put it in, in a very useful phrase you gave me, make money more expensive, right? Yes. yes. Which will make it a little bit harder for most people, right, to buy a home or buy a car or something like, or even use, or obtain a credit card, right? Yeah, I mean, it'll certainly, uh, they're wanting to slow the economy down and yep. make money uh, less less available, yes. Right. All right. So what I think most people are thinking is, hold on, I thought we just passed a $700 billion Inflation <laughs> Reduction Act. Right. Right. Okay. That's. But it's different. <laughs> okay. That's Again, remember, yeah. you cannot spend, you can't manage your own finances like the government does. Okay. Right. Because you can't print money. Right. Well, you can try, but you'll go arrested for it. Yeah. This is the old Milton Friedman point that yeah. it's not an individual who causes inflation. Right. And it's not a business who causes inflation. No, it's only a government thing. Of causes course. Inflation. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So just so, so we're aware of this. Now, I like what you were saying. If you have a little money tucked away, you're thinking, you know, you want you want it working for you. Yes. But also there is a there is an argument to keep something tucked away as well. Right? Yeah. So I'll take an example yeah. in our portfolios. If I have someone who's bringing us, uh, you know, opening a new account with us and they're bringing us uh, some liquid assets and they have money in the bank and they want us to get that money working for them. Uh, it's not something that we're just going to take that that full amount that they're opening the account with and just investing it all immediately. Yeah. We're going to do it in a measured way. 
and we're going to watch and see how the, the market is performing, what's happening in the economy that's going to help us direct where we're going to invest it in the market and how much we're going to invest in the market over a period of time. This way we could take advantage of some. If the market were to pull back right now, we would be able to take advantage of that because we would have cash on the sidelines. But there are people out there, Seth, as I said, that are fully invested right now in the market. Right. And they really don't have that opportunity. Right. And I'm not suggesting that you go ahead and sell you know, assets in your portfolio right now. You should be working closely with your advisor uh, before you would make a decision like that because there could be tax ramifications. Uh, any sort of uh, issues could arise. You want to make sure you understand all the facts before you would do something like nice. that. Thank you, John, very much. You bet. And if folks want information, how to get a hold of me, they can go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Request an appointment right there. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Enron Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Nicely Thank done, you, John Dabrowski. Thank you, you very you much. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. As we do every Wednesday, we check in on legal and constitutional issues with our legal and constitutional expert, Brett W. Johnson. He's a partner with the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm. SWLaw.com is their website, the best lawyers and they are, uh, in the country, and they are based here blessedly in Arizona, offices around the country. Brett Johnson, thanks for being with us. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, Seth? Doing just fine. Thank you. Uh, Brett, the Second Amendment, it's kind of an interesting thing. A lot of people think about the Bill of Rights and understand that, generally speaking, states can go further than the Federal Bill of Rights in protecting individuals and their safeguards under the first uh, first ten amendments plus the 14th. Um, the Second Amendment's always been a little weird on that front, or at least states have treated the Second Amendment a little differently on that, if I can set it up that way. And California recently did just that. California and Governor Newsom have uh, have gone through some new legislation, have passed and signed on to some new legislation, which seems to actually be restricting Second Amendment rights rather than expanding them. A, do I have that right? And B, if not, what do I have wrong? No, you have it exactly right. So basically, Cal uh, California, in its infinite wisdom, uh, even though the Supreme Court had addressed this in June and there was going to be that pivotal case that came out with the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, if anybody wants to go Google it, um, that came out in June. But before that, California had put in, in the process basically two different bills, one called Senate Bill 1327, which basically gave a private right of action to citizens to go after um, gun manufacturers or even hobbyists or, or people who, who um, are exercising their Second Amendment right. And then Assembly Bill 1621, which basically put prohibitions not just on gun ownership, but actually the, the market of supplying parts and basically the ability to um, manufacture guns, um, you know, as a hobby and and uh, the tools around the manufacturing of guns versus the gun itself. And that's, that's something that hasn't really been done um, in the history of America, which is obviously important for the Supreme Court nowadays. Um, and so that's where we get these two, basically, these bills in, in California that Governor Newsom did sign that basically have significant restrictions on the Second Amendment. One of the interesting things we go into this a little uh, we go into this a little bit in that Supreme Court decision. It was what it was a Justice Thomas decision, wasn't it? The New York, uh, the yeah. New, 
right? The, That's correct. Yeah. So yes, one of the things they go through is the importance of history and understanding the Second Amendment. And it seems that's something, maybe the smallest part of that, but it is something that California disregarded altogether, right? This disregarded what was going on in the Supreme Court when they were talking about historical uh, applications. It, absolutely. And everybody has to remember, you know, going back to the revolutionary days all the way through the history and when gun laws started coming into vogue around the late 1800s, early 1900s, is the historical aspect that literally people were in the rural areas of the country and, and they needed the tools to be able to literally manufacture their own guns for purposes of safekeeping or for hunting uh, and, and what, you know, Second Amendment was meant to protect. And so from that context, California just did not even go try to even go through that process, even though the Supreme Court was definitely leaning towards that way. Um, and these bills were still, you know, again, signed by Governor Newsom. He, Governor Newsom fully understood what the Supreme Court precedent was when he signed these two bills. Is he looking for a fight at the Supreme Court? Probably. I, I think so. And, and the reason it being is, is that uh, the, the ability to track um, guns and weapons has been a big issue in California and quite honestly other states. And some of them for valid public safety reasons sure. don't want to discount that by any right. means. Sure. Uh, but the, the manner in doing so, let's just give you an example, like one of the tools, you know, like a hammer, right? I mean, right. Uh, you know, the government buys a hammer for $400 because it's a very nice hammer. Well, one of the restrictions they're putting on is basically these 3D printers. Right. And based the restrictions, those are $60,000 a pop. This is not some mom and pop right. um, <laughs> um, operation. And, and it can be used for a lot of different reasons, of course. And, and so the restrictions that they're trying to go are above and beyond that anything would be the norm. And again, the whole purpose is, is to try to get serialization, not just on the gun. And if anybody's a gun owner, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a serial number on, on most guns that are manufactured and you go buy um, at, a, at a dealer or you go buy at a gun show, there's a serial number. Well, here they're trying to actually get the serial numbers on individual parts. So if a part um, breaks on your weapon and you need to uh, replace it, that would have its own serial number. And then there would be a registry um, as to who's not only owning guns, but who is owning gun parts, which mm-hmm. is one step um, uh, probably in violation of what we call the National Gun Registry Act, right. which makes this prohibition on a national government from collecting such data. Now, now, Brett, what what explains this kind of different treatment the Second Amendment seems to get with states? We don't get a lot of Second Amendment litigation in front of the Supreme Court. Part and parcel of that reason is what the Supreme Court probably doesn't like dealing with this very much, and they usually think they settled it with the few decisions that they do hand down on it. But why is it that the states do seem to be able to take more liberties in curtailing the Second Amendment than they would normally with other amendments? You know, uh, in, in my opinion, I think it actually deals with history and how the basically guns have kind of migrated. You, know, okay. you do have large clips and you do have very sophisticated military type weapons that are that are out in the community. And courts are very hesitant to get into, you know, those types of things. If we're talking about a musket where you got to you know, plug the ball in and, right. and, and you know, get the gunpowder in that the courts are more that's that's. That's more in line with from their concept sure. of his, history, but for I think courts are just uncomfortable, especially on the policy side. And whenever you're doing a preliminary injunction hearing, that that does get uh, played in. 
and courts are just not comfortable in that policy world. Now, our attorney general here, Mark Burnovich, has uh, issued a com- submitted a complaint against uh, alcohol, tobacco, and fire, the ATF, right? And in challenging some of this, uh, has that was a month or two ago. Has is is that still circulating around the court system or is that is that going to be determinative of 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 what California is doing, even though he's the attorney general here? It it could. So what um, the attorney general in Arizona did, as well as multiple other states, they actually filed in North Dakota, which, um, you know, going back to law school first year, we talk about forum shopping. You try to go. Uh, where, where courts are friendly, and quite honestly, um, you know, attorney generals on the other side of the fence do the same thing. Sure. Do the same thing in regard to Texas abortion law. They went to uh, Chicago and, and Washington D.C. So what that is targeting is not necessarily California's laws, but the ATF regulation. Uh-huh. And although they are making a strong Second Amendment claim there, it's pretty much also it would, you've heard me say it before: the Administrative Procedures Act, probably one of the most boring statutes <laughs> in America. <laughs> But but it has a lot of teeth because if Congress does not give the agency the authority to take certain action, then that is a violation of the APA and what we call the non-delegation doctrine. Right. And that is really what the attorney generals are targeting is that this 98-page regulation that I have in front of me with very, very small print um, is somehow Congress meant to give such power not just to the attorney general and the director of ATF, but their designees. And that's also one of the different arguments. But they're specifically targeting um, the definitions, and they're kind of wiping away not just American or uh, Republican presidents who, who have issued uh, regulations on this exact point, but other administrations, Democratic, that have always considered a gun a gun and part a part. And now they're the ATF has taken that one step below. So that's really what Attorney General Burnovich is trying to do in North Dakota. But the precedent there will obviously impact anything that happens in California. I know I'm making you jump through the hoops here, Brett, but help me uh, refresh my memory or just honestly tell me I'm misremembering. But wasn't there a case recently out of the Supreme Court on the on the non-delegation issue that said it that yeah yeah okay all right so yeah that that was that was in regard to uh, osha that's right uh, that that's right major that's one right. from yeah. covid yeah. Yeah. right yeah. And, and now you're racking my brain okay but, uh, but basically osha issued these health regulations right. based off of covid right and the court said you were never right. uh, designated to be issuing those types of regulations right. so that is after many years of dormancy the non-delegation doctrine, the courts are really pulling back on agency and saying, show me specifically where Congress gave you the authority to do what you're doing there right now. There and that's exactly what Attorney General Brnovich is doing Perfect. Um, in the North Dakota case. I got you. So now we're going to have to start learning about the dormant non-delegation <laughs> clause, aren't no, we? No, <laughs> I know. Uh, I, 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 I feel bad for those fourth graders who are going to have to start learning that. <laughs> I know. The only learning loss I want is in law school. Brett. You can quote me on that. (laughs) All right, brother. You're the best. Brett Johnson from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com. Brett, until next week. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You betcha. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Portions of the show brought to you by my friends at Y-Refi. If you're interested in a very unique and remarkable investment opportunity, I want you to check them out. What they're offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized 
portfolio, why refi is a due diligence approved firm. They're investors who do really well by doing good by and for others. You can be part of that too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com or call them at 855-316-3087. One last thing on Liz Cheney uh, I wanted to get out. I heard a press conference or at least a, um, a speech she was giving after her defeat. She did this thing a lot of losing candidates sometimes will often do, and you'll hear it's cheap speech writing, but you'll say, now the true work really begins. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I don't know what you have spent your career on and what you have asked people to support you for if you are now telling them everything before today was not your true work. No, the true work does not now begin, Miss Cheney. Now, there is a story over at the Wall Street Journal that is no real shocker. Uh, I'll give you the headline, Liz Liz Cheney to form new anti-Trump group, new anti-Trump group. And it's um, going to be under something called the Great Task Pack. And she takes that phrase, the Great Task, from the Gettysburg Address. Oh, please stop. Oh, I'm begging you to please stop, Liz. Um, Really, the, the use of Abraham Lincoln's phraseology in the Gettysburg Address was not meant for people who don't understand American history. The whole pitch of the Gettysburg Address was to maintain American history. When you and your father go around saying that there has been no greater threat and there is no greater threat in the history of the United States to the United States than Donald Trump, which is what you and your father have said, shows us you know nothing of history and maybe even less about politics. I'm Seth and we'll be right back.